0: Hey, welcome everybody. It is Jonathan Trowan. Welcome to another episode of Shared Humanity because we are all in this together, sharing this life on this planet together. And I am really excited. We have, uh, Bridget, you know, this, this is where self-love comes in, right? So usually I say, will you, before I hit record, I always say, will you pronounce your full name for me? So I don't get it wrong. So we're going to do it live because I screwed up. So those that follow me for self-love, I'm about to practice forgiveness. Jonathan, I forgive you for forgetting that step. And <laughs> Bridget, say your last name for me. Iaruso,
1: but you said my first name perfectly, Bridget uh-huh. Iaruso.
0: Bridgette Ayuruso. And here's what's really exciting for me. So so Brigitte is um, a business coach, and she's also really active in the racial and social justice world. And that's where, you know, she first did, did a post about, you know, who wants to engage in a conversation about racial and social justice. And I being, you know, who would categorize myself as the privileged white guy person, I'm like, pick me. So that's so I, I'm really excited to bring you on here and, and to share. And, and I want to hear, you know, how you, how you got into this racial and social justice, how that became a mission of yours and how you combine it with, you know, being a business coach, which, you know, we hear business coaching, Hey, give me the money. How am I going to make more money's wonderful, but how do we combine these two worlds? So share with us.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. I just got to learn a little bit more about the work that you do, and I really appreciated that. Um, So where did this begin for me? Before I was a business coach, I was born into a racially mixed family. So my mother is from Puerto Rico. My mother was born in Puerto Rico, and she was born into a family of nine children. She came to the United States when she was young, and her life experience culminated in her having a massive stroke when I was uh, three months pregnant with my only child, Talula. And so I carry with me the identity of being Latina, of coming from a Puerto Rican family. I'm fully bilingual with Spanish. Um, My journey in life and my lived experience and what I've been exposed to kind of mirrors the complexity of what people from historically marginalized communities or groups might experience. So I've, I've seen a lot of that. And on the other hand, my mother married um, a white Italian man, a second generation Italian man. And because of my unique ancestry, I present as pretty white. And so I'm also keenly aware of the privilege that I hold In having this presentation in the world and how it differs from other people, even in my own family and their experiences growing up and living in a world where, you know, the first thing I want to always start with is I believe that we're all created equal. That is a universal truth. I know a lot of religious people in particular feel really frustrated about the idea of racism and the idea that racism divides and Racism is a construct that was created, absolutely. The idea of races was created, but racism and systemic oppression have been perpetuated for centuries, and they're very much entrenched in society. And we may or may not be fully aware of all the ways we've learned and been acculturated into understanding the world through the lens of race. So even though we may reject that concept, we still have to grapple with what is, right? So. You know, I was raised here in the United States and then did a good deal of um, travel in my early 20s and really wanted to step outside of the American um, bubble, if you will, to study the experience of other people living in places that have a very different lifestyle, um, economic system, um, belief system. So I spent time in my 20s. I took out of grad school i was in my masters of international affairs and public policy at a very fancy school at columbia i spent a lot of money to figure out that i didn't want to be a public servant that i couldn't go into politics because i wanted to smoke weed and disrupt the system and i wanted to be myself and i wanted to say bullshit, and i didn't want to conform in the ways that a woman like Kamala Harris has to conform to the system to be able to get ahead in it. You can't actually be subversive and outwardly disruptive in ways that, for example, men can be and get ahead in politics. So I realized early on, if I take that path, I'm gonna fail. And I don't know that I wanna set myself up for failure. So I took a break, you know, even as early as my 20s, I decided to disrupt the system of my study much to the disappointment of my advisor And I went to Guatemala, and I did six months of field study, and I lived and worked among very remote, marginalized indigenous communities that didn't even have identification papers. They didn't have birth certificates or IDs. They had lived on the margins of Guatemalan society. They spoke their indigenous languages. um, And I was there to really understand how people lived in other places that was so radically different from what we lived in the United States. And I was also there to do my own kind of inside investigation around the role that the United States played in disrupting the global economy in so many countries where we um, take financial resources, land, other resources from these nations, monetize them, and our economy here is thriving as a result of it. But the United States as a whole, we're really masterful at painting a picture of freedom and democracy and how we're fighting for freedom around the world. And it really is A Mirage of what the truth is and I had to go and see that truth for myself and speak to people outside of our United States system of politics and really understand that so many of the things that were shown and told and taught here from birth to what we learn in grade school, what we're taught in religious books, the stories that were given about history, about Native people, about this nation and what it stands for and the actions we've taken over the years. So much of that has been written through the lens of people of power and privilege that are benefiting from those systems. And those stories are not necessarily the truth. They're the version of the truth that really because convenient for the way that we live here.
0: Were you aware of this before you took that trip or was it about, I I just have to learn, I'm gonna take this trip and then it was like, okay, everything I taught is a lie or did you kind of know that it wasn't truth beforehand?
1: That's a great question, thank you. So going even further back, I would say that when I was as young as five or six years old, I remember, questioning things I learned in church. So I was raised Catholic. My mom was really active as most Latino women are in the Catholic church. My Italian family is also very religious. And I remember feeling intuitively, instinctually, that some of what I was learning and hearing didn't feel right, didn't sound right. And it really started to come to a head in elementary school when I would hear things in religion class, for example, about how homosexual people were evil or bad or that they were harmful or that I could become gay or that I would be harmed by being in the presence of queer people. A lot of these narratives that I was taught in elementary school or that women were inherently subservient to men. And then I was kind of in, even in fourth and fifth grade comparing that with history and other things I'd read outside of my school curriculum about powerful indigenous tribes and women in different cultures and thinking something is amiss with the narratives that I'm being fed and something in me forcefully rejected those things to the point that I constantly got in trouble in elementary school and grade school. I was constantly questioning authority, questioning the narratives I was being taught, pushing back on the value systems that were being fed to me and saying, I'm sorry, but this is not okay. This doesn't land for me. And... How did they
0: father. do in elementary school? So here you are. These aren't my values, and, and you're knowing this at, at a very young age. I mean, I, I didn't figure this out. Not that I figured it out, but I didn't even understand any of this till till much later. Um, you know, because I remember the you know gays are bad too, and I I kind of bought into it at the at the beginning. That's what I thought, and I am sorry, but that is. I have to be honest, that's the truth. And and yeah. I'm trying to repent for it and now show up better in the world. But that was that was the real case. So what did these you're both the, the the leaders of the schools, but also your friends, which you know you had relationships with, how did they respond to you at taking the stand at such a young age?
1: I got in trouble a lot. And a lot of what you preach about self-love wasn't really available to me at that time because I was constantly um, punished, criticized, told that I was bad, that I was wrong because I was disrupting the system and the rules and the structures. So I was constantly in trouble. And There was a rebellious side of me that also rejected that idea that still believed I was good and that I had, that there was something in me that was truthful, that was leading me towards something that was more truthful. But I still struggled a lot with being in trouble, you know, for most of my life, this carried through into the world of the nonprofit sector. When I began my journey doing work around social and economic development in the developing world, working with really, really well-meaning kind, good-intentioned white people who wanted to help and save poor, oppressed, marginalized people in other countries through the lens of their own experience, through what they understood to be their role in the world, through their own Judeo-Christian, traditional, Western, informed religious belief system, that they were here to help save and serve others that who were lesser than them not by their own fault but for some other reason um and so you know this this pattern and these these trends kind of carried through into that sector where even in those spaces i felt like whoa something is totally off here with this approach we don't know better than these poor wayward marginalized oppressed people in fact these people these indigenous people have a level of wisdom, resilience, creativity, and possibility that we by ourselves have been denatured from. We've unlearned over the years with our colonization, which with being acculturated into systems that tell us how to think, what to eat, what to believe, what to read, how to sleep, how to act. We go get our food. We've unlearned almost everything that we inherently know as humans That is about our intuition, our ability to um, find resources, create, partner, collaborate, do so many powerful things that colonization actually came and destroyed intentionally and specifically so that a very select number of people could have power and privilege and opportunity over others. And so, so much of my journey throughout life without knowing is that 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 was what it was, really has to do with the journey of decolonizing myself and understanding like wait a minute these heathen or savage or indigenous people who are seemingly behind are people that are were our first people they are the people that created everything as we know it from how we tell time to astrology to how we grow food to how we build homes to how we live in community how we raise babies instinctually and intuitively that doesn't cause harm and trauma and then here we are coming in and going wait you're all doing it all wrong hold on we got to fix it and just kind of not understanding the depth of complexity of how indigenous cultures and how groups of people who held on to so much wisdom, so much power withstood the test of time while being kind of thrashed with purposeful destruction, stripping away their wisdom, taking away their land, taking away their language, their culture, their traditions, taking away their women, taking away their children, taking their children and putting them into orphanages, into special schools, literally taking and giving their children to white people and saying, this is bad. These white people are better. We're going to take you away from your culture and give you to something because this is superior, when I really started to understand all of these things, it was like once you see and understand what we've come through and what has been the impact of colonization and slavery and the systemic marginalization and oppression of black, indigenous, brown, people of color over the years, over the centuries, then we have to kind of grapple with like, What is it that we do in the soup of what is now, right? So for me, the first step is like understanding the historical complexity of all this stuff. And then again, how do we work within the duality of that we, each of us, however we present in the world, myself included, a white presenting woman, we can be good humans. We can have really good intentions. We can have a good heart. We can love other people. We can say things like, I don't see color. I don't think a Black person is lesser than a white person. We can feel those things in our hearts. And it doesn't take away the reality that the world that we live in and the history that it came from and how it was initially designed and constructed to oppress has put us in a position where we are all responsible for looking at how we may be unintentionally upholding some of those same systems that cause harm and oppress people of color. Now, I need to say in this conversation that I am saying these things to you as a white presenting Latina woman who is not an anti-racism or equity, diversity, and inclusion expert. I am having this conversation as someone that is doing this work herself in this journey of myself being a a leader in a public position where I influence and coach and build communities and support all kinds of diverse people. I myself am in the soup with you. I myself have to think about how I myself might be perpetuating oppression Or causing harm, which is why one of the things that I encourage everyone to do, myself included, is to think about who are we listening to and who are we learning from. If we are only consuming content and following and receiving and buying from other people who look like us, we may be missing entire swaths of expertise and wisdom in the lived experience. So, for example, in my case, I'm following minimum 5 black and brown women who are other experts spiritual coaches business leaders experts in anti-racism coaching healing and those women include Maisha Hill who's an anti-racism educator she's a an expert in trauma and mental health for black and brown people and if you want to understand the reality of what other people are living We need to open up and listen to those other people and put ourselves in a position of that constant learner mindset. There's Lisa Dunn Young. She's a diversity and inclusion expert. When I do my business coaching with someone and I'm helping them look at their business system and who they serve, is their business model accessible? Is their business language, the way they market and position their expertise, their program, their service, their transformational business offering? Does it include or does it exclude, right? I don't actually help people with that piece. That's where I would bring in other experts because part of the work of unraveling some of our ways of inadvertently coming across as knowing all the things as part of what's been ingrained in us as part of our whiteness is knowing that we only represent a tiny fraction, of the wisdom in the world and how to look at things. And we can really only fully understand things through that lens of our own lived experience. And so if we haven't actually lived the experience of having people treat us differently just because of the color of our skin, which we cannot change or hide, then it's impossible to fully know the truth of who are the people that are experiencing that. And that's what's really hard because again, we can have well, I, empathy and I, feel I love for that. Question,
0: though. I want to throw in a question because you said something a few minutes ago, uh, which which I think was it's it's a really it's the first time I heard it framed that way. And the idea of uncolonizing ourselves. I think that's the 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 word you used. And I think that's one, it's a really powerful thing to understand is is you know, okay, yeah, we're not creating colonies anymore, but we are—we are brought up in a system that was created from that, and we are—that's who we are, uh, at least those of us here in, in the United States. And so you came to a point where you said, "I I need to uncolonize myself," and I'm here. Okay, pick me. Uh, I never thought of that, but I'm 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 ready for that game too. So I want to understand more this process that a person can go through with, oh, holy holy crap, I I'm, um, I'm a colonized person um, and okay, now, and and I know I don't want to be. I just want to f- hear feel more about the process of a transition of going from colonized to an uncolonized human being.
1: Yes, And that's the work yeah so, you could say uncolonized, unlearning. Decolonized is a traditional term. Sorry, decolonize. That's what I. Yeah, mean. and so um, there are a couple of women that I would recommend following if this topic is something that interests you. Because again, I'm not an expert in decolonization. I am in but you're the going work through of it. Right? I'm in the work of it
0: in so myself. I don't want to hear about your experience. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm open to who, who the who the experts are too, but but I'm here with you, so I want to know your experience of decolonizing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure I'm clear around why I'm mentioning the women that I'm learning from before I go into my own lived experience, because what can happen as white people by accident, sometimes we don't realize is that we will co-opt other people's wisdom Mm. and other people will perceive us as experts and maybe be influenced by us or buy from us or we will benefit from other people's wisdom. So the reason I'm so explicit in in saying these things and modeling it to you and to the audience is I want everyone to know that I didn't, uh, I don't teach these topics, I'm not an expert in them, but I'm learning from women like Trudy LeBron, or Louisa Duran, or Maisha Hill, or Lisa Denning Young, who are experts in the that. in the work yeah. of decolonization. So I want to make sure that no one accidentally thinks that I'm an expert. So that's why I do that, and that's why
0: I model it. And then and I want my... you to give me after, so I want you to give me write their names so I have the correct spellings, and and I will put links to to their teachings. I'm Absolutely.
1: But to your point, and I, and thank you so much for asking me to share my own journey with it, because, you know, I think it's so important to that we normalize and talk about the work and the journey and that we are comfortable with talking about the fact that it's part of a process and that there doesn't have to be guilt or shame in coming to a realization that some of the things we may have been taught or learned are not grounded in truth, right? So for example, part of that work of decolonizing is looking at the stories we're taught about Native American people and just thinking about when we're raised looking at cowboys and Indians and movies that portray Indian people who may or may not be Indian, Native American, there might be other types of Indigenous people as savages or dangerous and all the ways that these narratives are perpetuated that we may not realize that we've adopted some of those biases unintentionally. And it takes work to recognize where those biases have, have been, become part of our thinking unintentionally or thinking that the story of how um, Thanksgiving occurred is this beautiful tale of you know the native people sharing with the with the who what, what are they called again the, the <laughs> the pilgrims right these folks that came from other countries and it's so cute and they have their hats on and the native people have their feathers on and then they sit down together and have a meal and we teach our children this like mystical magical concept when you know the real concept of like native american women having their head bashed on rocks and being raped and brutalized and having all their land stolen and really destroying their culture is the truth of what really happened, you know, like there, there's a lot of complexity to it. And 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 most of what we learn is kind of just that magical side of it. You know, that, that's where we have to get into the idea of like we don't have to feel ashamed or guilty. No one is saying you, Jonathan, you, Brigitte, white presenting white man. It's your fault that indigenous people were tortured and killed. It's your fault that slavery exists. You need to fix it no one is saying we created those systems or that we intentionally are responsible directly for those things. And those systems and those things were created by our ancestors and epigenetically fixing it. We are, we have to be responsible for fixing it because the people that are that are negatively affected by those systems. It's not within their power to fix those systems. They literally can't do anything to change or fix the systems of oppression that have been in existence. We as white people are the people that have to do the difficult work to question and disrupt and dismantle and recreate systems that are more inclusive and it's messy it is uncomfortable we will get in trouble we will be called out we will do things incorrectly we will make mistakes and as jonathan speaks to so beautifully in his work we have to trust and know that we're still good, lovable, kind-hearted, well-intentioned people, even while we're in the muck of trying to do better and learning and messing up. And as humans, the only way we can actually learn and grow and do better is experientially to try and fail and learn and correct and do it better. So the only way to grow in this work as an ally or someone who cares about other humans or racial justice or wants to take a stand is we've got to put ourselves in the fire and trust that we are completely resilient, capable humans, that we can make mistakes, fail, we can get harsh feedback, we can even receive criticism and we're going to be okay. Not only are we going to be okay, but we can learn from it and we can get better. And that's with the idea of becoming more comfortable with discomfort.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and that, that's lesson number one of the world. Whatever you want in the world, this, anything, become comfortable with discomfort. And, and how do we do this? So this is this this idea. So we as white people, you know, we we have to we have to you know step up and and do our part. And then there's there's the the question of well, how do we do it without being like you you said before, the white guys trying to save things when other people know how to do it better than we do because they always knew how to do it better, you know? We, so how how do we do it without being the 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 overbearing white people trying to fix the system for others when we don't know how to fix it for them?
1: Yeah, I mean that's where we, you know, there's so many layers to the fixing, even the idea of fixing it, right? You know, the system is pretty badly broken. I mean, when you think about colonization and the initial enslavement of certain classes of people for the financial gain of others, we like to think that those things went away. You know, we like, we, many of us and myself included for many years growing up held on to the illusion that like slavery's over. Indigenous people, they live on reserve some of them because they want to and they have the same opportunities it's America everyone has the same rights and freedoms and opportunities so like there's three or four layers of this like the first one is we have to get clear on like actual facts and we have to look at like is slavery actually over or if you look at the history of the 13th amendment and you watch the movie 13 and you understand the criminalization of marijuana and certain petty crimes in Black communities was a very clever way to re-enslave Black communities for free labor. It started right after the Black people were freed, in theory, and then new laws were created that would put them in a position where they would lose their rights and freedoms again, because the system was benefiting from free labor. Our economy the, the prosperity that we experience in America, the Industrial Revolution, our agricultural revolution, all of the economic growth was built on the on the backs of, of slavery. And so that stuff never went away. It was simply morphed and transformed into a new form of enslaving of Black people. So when you really look at the history of that and specific administrations in the history of the United States that really understood the economic benefits of more people in prison and prison labor, and if we understood that the desk we might be sitting at and the things in our home were actually created by slave labor and companies make a huge profit and there's a whole industry around that. So we got to start with that first getting clear on facts and understanding that slavery is not over in America. It's a prison system. We, many of us, benefit from it, not on purpose. We may not know it, but when we do our homework and start to realize it, we are all benefiting and perpetuating from that prison industrial complex, the business of the enslavement of people, right, in prisons. Um, And we may invest in companies, that are prison industrial companies. We may vote for people who are in a position of power over our country because of the money that they make in their financial holdings and their investments that are directly tied to this prison industrial complex, aka modern day slavery. So first, we got to do that homework. Then we have to do the inner work to grapple with our own experience with the, that information. And are we in a space of rejecting that? What is really going on with us? Like, what is causing us to reject that? Is it a fear? Is it is it the idea that will push away other people, that will be seen as problematic? Like, what would happen if we began to engage with this deeper truth? And then what does it represent for us? Like, do we actually have to give up? some privileges or some comfort or some ease of the way we get to live in engaging with these deep painful truths and then taking a stand for them and i'm here to tell you the good news and the bad news yes as white presenting people as people of privilege we do actually have to give certain things up to be able to address these issues to be able to take a stand for them, it's going to mean giving up safety comfort sometimes. It's going to mean giving up always being seen as the easygoing peacemaking person that doesn't wanna ruffle feathers, right? So a woman, I was having a messenger exchange with a a white woman who's Christian. And she was saying that she doesn't like to get involved because I talked about my taking a stand for racial justice. Like I'm here on this earth to take a stand for the fact that I do not believe that all people are treated equally And then I'm here to do the work in whatever capacity I can in my time on this earth to say, I'm taking a stand for racial justice. I do not believe Black people are treated equally in America. And I'm here to figure out all the ways I can take a stand for that, use my time, my energy, and the financial resources of my business to chip away at dismantling that. And her response to me as a business leader herself was, I don't involve my business in politics. I don't like to be political. And I don't like to make waves politically through my business. And I'm here to say that if you think that Black people's safety and their lives and their personal freedoms are political, then there's some unlearning that has to do, because that's a narrative and that's bullshit. Black people's lives, Indigenous people's lives, queer people's lives, trans women, Black trans women's lives and safety are not fucking political. Those are basic Human rights that are being denied to certain groups of people. And this election is not about taxes or politics. All of that is just noise and bullshit. This election this year is about voting for people's basic human rights and removing an individual from a position of power that is financially benefiting from endorsing, supporting, and pandering to groups that are directly harming black and brown bodies in this country. It has nothing to do with the rest. Everything else is window dressing. You can have disagreements, and you can agree to disagree around healthcare policies and taxes and all the rest. But as a human being this year, you need to take a good hard look at the fact That the person in power in this country is accepting money and endorsement from white supremacist groups that are actively promoting the lynching and harm of black people still to this day, have direct ties to the Ku Klux Klan and have already been shown to be meddling in this situation in our election and threatening black and brown communities with direct harm, causing people to flee this country, people that I know, that doesn't matter what their politics are. This is not about Republican or Democrat. This year's election is about fundamental, universal, basic human rights that every single American, regardless of their race, culture, ethnicity, immigrant status, sexual orientation, or physical ability has a right to live in this country free from oppression, from harm, and from threat. That's what we're voting for in this election. Politics, I studied politics. I went to grad school for it. It's all bullshit.
0: I just want to throw something in here because I had someone, I was on the phone with someone the other day. And they, they said you know so and I don't know when when you guys are seeing this some people are going to see this definitely after the election and maybe years after the election and they said well you know if Biden wins then these problems go away so I want to be be clear with everybody that that yes um, what you know what what Bridget is saying I, I personally agree with. Be clear. Everyone's welcome in in my life. If you if you're a Republican, Trump supporter, you're still welcome in my life. Um, I, I might not like actions that people take, but you as a human, I love you unconditionally. Uh, the human, the human aspect of you, because I know I know that's in all of us, each and every one of us. Um, but if if Trump loses and Biden uh, wins, the problems don't go away. This work has to continue. Yes, Your work absolutely. has to continue, and just because hopefully, and I don't know which way this is gonna go, um, you know, if, if Biden wins, we can't just sit down. Though, though, those, you know, the 545 that we know about children who are separated from their parents um, still don't know what where their parents are and we still don't know how to get them together. The prisons will not disappear even, even under a Biden, Biden presidency. Um, I b- do believe things may be better, but let's be clear, this work does not end, it has to be potentially the beginning. And if Trump wins or if Trump has won, depending on when you're watching this, um, yeah, the, this work needs to continue for uh, a long time. You know, we, when we talk about personal development, you know, we talk about, you know, so some of these wounds have been piling up for, for you know, we're 10, 20, 30, 40 years in us and people want it to end like that. And I go, well, you know, we might have to do some work to get to some of the deeper ones. The surface stuff, yeah, we can peel off and then it's gonna take some time to get into some of the juicy, fun stuff and let that come out. And this stuff has been going on for, uh, you know, in, in, in the US history books for hundreds of years. And of course, if, if you go to where, you know, the, the European, are European ancestors of the United States, not that everyone here is from Europe, but the United States, um, the way it is constructed today is, is a child of Europeans, so to speak it's, it goes, you know, a long, 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 long time. And it's going to take a long time and a lot of effort to get us on the other side of this. And, uh, and we cannot stop.
1: Yes, I'm 100% in agreement that it is going to take a long, long time. And I also, again, need to express to the American people, anybody that's watching this, that's a US citizen that has the right to vote, that our political system is funded by corporations and by money. So everybody that gets into politics is compromised out the gate because they have to take money, right? To get into a position of political power. So anybody that runs for president, it took a ton of campaigning and you have to have very, very large sums of money to get there. So in and of itself, Part of the biggest issue here is our whole political system is corrupt from the get-go because corporations run the show. And when you look at which corporations have the most money, right? So if we go back again into the the work the work of the fact-finding of facts and move away from opinions, right? The money that funds political campaigns comes from big corporations and the most profitable large corporations that fund these campaigns Typically, include those that profit from the harm of people. And the people that are disproportionately harmed are often people of color. So you can look at pharmaceutical companies, you can look at steel companies, companies that create guns and weapons and things like that. And you can actually look at Which party received the most money from the most harmful companies? So if you do your homework, that's one really interesting way to kind of get underneath the beast. But again, that's the political side of things. And I'm not talking about the political side. I'm talking about, and I'm going to repeat this again, the fact that there is an individual who is currently the president of the United States in power, in a position of authority, who is speaking directly to people of the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacist groups who are actively at present harming black and brown people in America, harming immigrants, harming black people. And so that person is speaking to those groups. Those groups are supported by that individual and they're receiving direct support from them. So removing this person will in fact make one huge blip in the needle in that we do not have a public figure in endorsing white supremacist hate groups so we need to start there and then yes all that other complex work begins but we got to start there because this right now that's going on is super dangerous i want to
0: interrupt because we might not be able to again i don't know who's going to win so we might not be able to start there um and i pray i pray we do but what do we do you know a lot of people have already voted by the time we're having this conversation um and if you haven't, you see this before election day, vote, come on, vote already. But whatever the outcome of the election, the work doesn't end. What do I do today? What, what do I, what does the person watching this, how do we begin? Cause a lot of people have, have, are sitting here. I want to do something. I do. I really do. I just don't know what to do. What do I do today? No matter who's president. Because even if, if he is in office, the work has to continue. Today, we don't change the financial structure of electing a president or senators. That, that's not going to happen today. It can't happen until we get an, a, a whole new Supreme Court, which isn't going to happen for a, a, a generation. Um, so what do we do today?
1: Well, we have to start with ourselves, of course. We have to look at, in our own work in the world, Are there ways that our privilege are showing up? Are there ways that we could inadvertently be causing harm or replicating systems of oppression in our workplace, in, again, how we do business, in our relationships, and really do the inner work to simultaneously love ourselves and acknowledge that we all have work to do. And it starts with releasing the concept that somehow we don't have any work to do. Because it would be a really odd anomaly as a white human to not have ingrained or learned any biases, stereotypes, or racist tendencies because it is the society we were born into. It's not our fault, but it is our responsibility to do the work to figure out and unlearn the things we've learned that could be harmful. So how are we showing up in relationships? Are our relationships diverse? Do we have enough people in our close personal relationships that have had a very different lived experience than our own? And are we listening to enough of those people and believing them and allowing their experiences to shape our perspective on the world? Or are Are we in community with and listening to and learning from and hanging out with people that just think like us and look like us? So that's been a big piece for myself, just the journey of leaving New York City, leaving my Catholic, Irish, Italian, Catholic neighborhood, my Catholic school, moving to California, surrounding myself with diverse leaders, constantly listening to them. And learning from them and acknowledging that all the things they've experienced are so far out of my zone of comprehension that I can only get better by listening and learning from more diverse people. So how are we diversifying who we spend our time with, who we learn from, and who are we buying from? Whose wisdom and expertise are we shopping with? Do we only shop from white people when we buy spiritual healing, coaching, yoga, clothing, Organic food? Are we seeking out vendors, sources? Are we diversifying our supplier chain in our personal life, in our business life? Are we investing in other people's wisdom that have a very different background than our own? I think those are some really simple, fantastic ways that we can start the journey, as well as who do I do business with? Who do I partner with? Who do I refer to? If I'm at a conference, Am I at a sea of white faces on a panel? Can I be the person to say, who needs to be here that's not here? Would you give up your seat at a panel as a speaker to bring in a person of color? Mm. If that conference really needs the diversity of perspectives, can there really be a conference around spirituality, personal development, healing, life transformation, overcoming the pandemic and grief without people of color? should there be? Or should we always be looking at and thinking about what is the complexity and the richness and the diversity? Because again, the status quo is white, straight, hetero, traditionally presenting male. And that's not our fault. Again, it's not about shaming and blaming you. It just is what is that's the dominant culture. That's the norm by which we all may not even realize that we're being measured against and why we sometimes feel inferior or that we're coming up short. So if that's the case, how do we do the work individually to diversify what we're surrounded by, what we consume, what we learn from, who we partner with? How do we also use our privilege and our voice and our platform to think about how we can encourage others to do the same? Because Black and brown people are tired. They've been doing this work for a long time. It is emotionally draining, exhausting. It triggers a lot of trauma and grief for black and brown people to do this work. If we as white people really engage with our resilience and our capacity to take a stand and do this work, and we all do our part, and we all speak to other people of privilege to do the work, that's how we're going to turn this thing around en masse. We people of the dominant privilege culture take this on as our work, And find ways to commit to doing it. And if you're unclear where to start, I really want to encourage you to join Myesha Hill's Co-Conspirators Lounge. It's $10 a month to join her membership community. She'll hold a call every month. And she will provide you with resources, guidance, and loving, compassionate support for how to show up in this work as an ally to release shame how to take care of yourself and how to love yourself in the journey because for however imperfect we are and whether we are unintentionally causing harm we're still good people we still need to take care of ourselves we still need to love each other and take care of each other as we grow and do this work together and surround yourself with other people that are also doing the work normalize the journey of your allyship Really get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations and trust that you are infinitely capable and resilient.
0: Wow, there's so much there, and I really wanna I want to highlight because you said something that really resonated with me. Um, you know, we can't speak with our dollars, and we might not be able to give tens of thousand dollar tens of thousands of dollars to um, to campaigns, political campaigns, or PACs, and all of that but you can support the business next to you. And if there's a minority owned business, you don't have to tell them you're doing it, you know, for any reason, just show up and buy from them. And then you're lifting up an individual, the whole family and it expands from there. And that really is something that you can simply do today. You don't need, you're buying anyway, you're buying anyway. So um, I think that was a really good, um, good piece of advice there to uh, speak with your money and let's support some of these businesses that, that need our help. And I want to ask you one final question here. So I want you to picture yourself older, beautiful gray hair, hanging out on a porch somewhere, maybe wherever you would be when you're older, how do you want, what do you want people to say about you? How do you want to be remembered thought of?
1: I want to be remembered as someone that was, very authentic and 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 true to their purpose in life which is to serve to transform to help other people to make a transformation and i want to be known for inspiring and motivating other people to believe in themselves and their own capacity to make change in the world and to move through fear i just want to be known for helping people um feel fear and, ex- and examine that we can feel fear and know that things are scary and difficult and that we can do them anyway. And we can create incredible change in the world if we just move through the fear.
0: Mm, beautiful. Thank you so, so much for that. If people want to learn more about your journey or the work that you do, um, where do you want them to go to find out more?
1: Um, a good place is Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook, Brigitte Iaruso Soto. And then my website is Embrace Change. Dot .us and for those of you that are consultants or coaches or spiritual healers leaders in the nonprofit education sector I'm hosting a 3-day um, unconference called the Disruption Unconference. And it's the culmination of five years of this work around how we, as leaders in the spiritual coaching, consulting industries, can do better in community, how we can take away the shame and the guilt and the fear of addressing these issues, come together in a powerful container of love and compassion, build relationships, learn with other people, and grow together. And yes, we can be financially abundant and successful while we still do the work to dismantle oppression in ways that we do harm. And we can have all those things. Life is in the mix. It's in the duality. It's in the gray area. So if you're interested in that, go to embracechange.us. I'd love to call you in to be a part of this incredible event. And if you want to have a conversation with me after listening today, I'm always open and available for that.
0: Yes. And I think that's important too. It's not us or them. It's not we need to get, yes, we need to give up some of our, our, our safety and our comfort, but, but it's not we give up and, 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 and they gain. There is no we and they. It's all of us, and we rise together, we grow together, we succeed together, and it's the only way that we can succeed. So I hope everybody will join you, will join us on this journey, uh, and Brigitte, I so thank you for spending this time with us.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me and for yourself, for creating the space to have this conversation. I really appreciate that. And honestly, we need more men like you to take a stand and do this work and then create space for it because this is a powerful model. And I really, really just appreciate you doing that today.
0: Well, thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for watching. Remember, you are loved. We will see you next time.